This podcast is brought to you by On Track Studio. You know, I tell people I grow this produce and I do not eat it. I do not feed it to my kids, my family. And I say that should scare the shit out of you. Tasmania. Good to be here. <laughs> so um, let's start by, let's talk about what sort of farming, what do you grow, um, how long has it been in the family for? Yeah, so I'm, uh, I'm third generation on our family farm. Um, I went back there after high school. My, oh, I'll start from, start from uh, our grandfather. He, he originally farmed in, the, in central Tasmania and moved up to um, what is our family farm now? Fifty years ago, I think, and he only ran it for not very long at all. And Dad took it over. Um, he grew grains, didn't do a lot of cropping, a bit of livestock, uh, but he didn't. He's never done a lot with it. He, um, not sure if he didn't want to, but he went down the um, agronomy path and specialised in. Um, recommending synthetic fertilizers to other farmers this is um, this is your dad my uncle yeah my dad yeah yep uh so the farm has been leased out to other growers um previous to me being there i uh started on the farm about 2006 it was i've been there for 15 odd years mm-hmm. um so you learned so when i you learned from him yep. more so or did you learn anything from grandpa uh, nothing from nothing from Grandpa, no, really. He, yeah, no, it was um, all from Dad. Dad was, um, yeah, my sort of mentor. Most of, well, pretty much all the way through, really, up until three, four, five years ago, I guess. Um, I've only been awake three years, I guess, is a um, a good point to put across to the listeners. Mm-hmm. So the first first twelve years, I was there, yeah, not aware of not aware of anything and how bad the state of agriculture is and all the uh, synthetic ferts and the chemicals go onto the food, um, literally poisoning people. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, we, uh, we grow potatoes, onions. We've grown carrots, uh, grains um, and livestock. Poppies. And poppies, yeah. <laughs> Don't forget the poppies. <laughs> Feeding the big farmer machine. Um yeah, so that's a bit of a a bit of a background on uh, how long I've been there and um, and what we've been doing. So we've got about five hundred and fifty acres at the family farm in in Tassie. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the uh, I guess I'll, I'll touch on because I've got the perspective of only being awake for three years. I can sort of give you a bit of a <clears throat> obviously I knew nothing about how bad they were, the chemicals and the synthetic synthetic furt. But when you're you're in the daily grind, you're you're very time poor. Um, and it's how how all the system's designed. We we have to like you have not much of a life and you have to scrimp and scrape and just kick every goal to to earn a living, pretty much. So what's a day what's a day look like for you? Um in the different seasons, um, it's different now because I'm winding back and trying to exit the system a bit. So um, I've realised that uh, we're pretty much all slaves, and I'm uh, trying to exit that a bit and actually have a life and spend time with my kids and have time to educate them myself and all that. But uh, yeah, day on the farm. So when I was, I've been managing the farm since I got there and running the the whole back end of the business as well as the day to day for probably 10 years, um, you know, so you get there and if you haven't organised a day, you organise a day, there's, um, oh, we'll start from the start. So sowing the, sowing the crops before you, 
um, before we plant anything, we we go and burn or kill the um, the crop you have or the pasture or fodder crop you have been growing over winter mm-hmm. in the in the spring. So June, July, August, you um, go and desiccate that with glyphosate, um, which probably isn't really necessary because we do that much cultivation to kill what's there anyway. Um, so you spray it off with glyphosate for a start. Any any of the brown sort of paddocks you see driving around the countryside anywhere, that's um, glyphosate. It just nukes absolutely everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you wait for that to to de- be desiccated and then we go in and for our vegetable crops we till the ground. Um, be, you know, two, two to three passes with cultivation equipment. Um, and then we're, we're looking at um, planting the planting vegetables, potatoes, onions, carrots, uh-huh. and, um, and the poppies and grains as well. Um, after they're planted, um, you've got the <clears> – <throat> so you have to water. You've got the watering, chemical applications, fertiliser applications. Uh, you're monitoring the crop, but the, the irrigation, the chemical ap- applications – and the fertiliser applications take up a lot of your time. That's that's a full-time job for one person. Mm. Sounds like a lot. Of, sounds like a pretty big process. I um I didn't actually yeah. know that you use glyphosate. Um, is it yeah. Roundup? Is that what it's? Yes. Yeah. So um, Cindy O'Meara, who's a local, um, I don't actually, I don't, have you heard of her? I actually wouldn't be able no. to describe her, but she's got a, um, um, a farm up in Melania, I believe, Changing Habits. Anyway, I follow her. But she was posted this morning, glyphosate exposure linked to um, rheumatoid arthritis in women and then, like, sterilisation in men, um, affecting the sperm count. Like, there's a lot. Um, She just was, like, one after the other, just all these things I was reading this morning. So there's a lot. um, Yeah, then we go and feed that into our soil and our soil feeds our food. and then One of the funny things with glyphosate, uh, yeah, yeah, no, that absolutely. Was it. You you speak. You that? Yeah, um, yeah. What well, one of the funny things with glyphosate in the in the farming sort of circles amongst the growers is that it's not even that bad. That's that, that's the general view. Of glyphosate. So why is it? Why is that? The and compared view? to compared to some of the other chemicals, it's just what everyone's been, just been programmed and been told, so they believe it. No one, we don't. No one looks into any of this. No growers look into it. They don't do any of their own research. They don't think about it. They're told that it's fine. There's MRL limits, which are maximum residue limits that are safe to consume when the, these chemicals are in the in the food. Um, and everyone believes it. So when you're spraying, are and you in the tractor or are you covered in something or you, do you go near it? Yeah. Um, so mixing up your full cotton overalls, um, rubber gloves, respirator. Um, and then when you're applying, you're in the, in the enclosed cab with um, chemical filters for your air conditioning. So that, <laughs> that alone should tell you everything you need to know about it. Because if it was yeah. safe, you'd just be sweet. Like, you know, when we're making glazes at the studio, you're mixing a bunch of minerals together. You've got to wear masks. You're not just inhaling it all. It's um, yeah. obviously toxic. Yeah. So yeah. What, other, what other chemicals go onto the soil? And what does it do to the soil now that, you, now that mm. you're, um, you know, realising the effects of it? Like, um, you know, how does it affect the soil life? Sure, your dad might disagree. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if he'd disagree, but he's, yeah, he's, um, I guess he doesn't know how bad it is. But it, it literally destroys all soil, well, not all soil life, but it just, it hammers it. Um, and yeah, soil is a living, breathing organism with microbes and fungi and, and all this, and all these things. Like where <laughs> the soil's got fungi in it that's really, really beneficial to the soil. Um, to the biology and to the soil health, and we're putting fungicides straight onto the soil. So it's it's just terrible. And the the chemicals do the same; they just destroy the soil biology. Why do you put fungicides on it? 
Um, some fungicides go directly on soil to um, they neutralize spores that can be on the soil. Um, so it stops them spreading to the plant later in uh, later in the yeah, the crop cycle. Yeah. Most fungicides are foliar and go on the plant. Yeah. Do you think the um, if you were to take the other approach, do you think the the mushrooms or the fungi are there for a reason to you know feed the soil or help the plant? Or? Uh, the fungi are um, one of the most important things for a healthy soil. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So how how do you think it would affect the um, nutrient density of the, um, you know, carrots and onions and everything else that you're growing? Oh, a lot compared to like in my mind, you know. Now I know what a healthy soil is. You've you're balancing balancing it with, um, you know, soil still has to be balanced. The nutrients all have to be balanced, but yeah. We should be balancing them with natural ingredients, not synthetic salt-based, acid-based fertilisers that, that just hammer biology and yeah, degrade soil health. But, uh, yeah, so a lot. <laughs> you, you, what, are the, um, what are the minerals you put on the soil? Synthetics? Yeah. What are, the, what are they made up of? So the main four nutrients in soil are NPKs, nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, and sulfur. And then there's a whole bunch of um, microelements, zinc, magnesium, molybdenum, boron, iron, uh, manganese, and others. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the main four are definitely yeah, nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, and sulfur. Oh, calcium and magnesium are the – they're actually – I've come to learn, which no – not many conventional growers seem to know this either, is that cal- the calcium and magnesium ratio in soil is should be the starting point of, of balancing your, your soil. Mm. Right. So all, all, the, uh, all the sort of conventional farmers think we put, we put lime on, which is a percentage of calcium, say 20 to 40% calcium, which is just crushed limestone, which is a good product, natural product. Mm. But people, farmers think we put it on to adjust the pH in the soil but we really should be looking at adjusting the calcium and magnesium ratios to, and then once you get that ratio right and the calcium and magnesium levels accurate, your pH will fix it. It'll be, it will be where it should be. To just fix itself. Yeah. Everything's just looked at backwards. Mm. Mm. I remember um, someone told me, I think it was when I did my PDC, um, the, that we know less, we know more about, outside of space than we do in the soil or something? Like we only actually know 2, 2% of what goes on in soil? Yeah. Well, we – well, I'll say oh, I. When I say we, I'm just talking about conventional farms in general, but I'll talk about myself. Over the 15 years I've been doing it, I, there's not – there wasn't one workshop I went to that was solely focused on the soil. Mm. We get – like there's no – and I've come to realise why that is. It's because all the – uh, all the teaching and education comes from pretty much comes from the corporate companies, and they don't make money on people making their soil healthy. They make their money on synthetic selling synthetic fertilizers and selling chemicals. Which was my next question: If you go back ten or how long you've been farming for, 15, 20 years, if yeah. you go back to how much you were feeding the soil then versus now, is it a lot more, or is it the same every year since? Like, has your price? Have you been? Um, is your cost of fertiliser gone up a lot over 10 years? Oh. <laughs> um, it hasn't. It, until um, COVID, it hadn't gone up a lot. But now with supply chain shortages and they're really having a crack at urea because, you know, in my opinion, they want um, food shortages. And if they make that very hard and very expensive to get, then there's going to be food shortages because all our soils are addicted to to these synthetic fertilisers, especially nitrogen. Um, But over my time, it hasn't increased a lot, but definitely from um, like our grandfather's time to my dad's time, it increased a lot. So Graham, our grandfather's knowledge on sort of nutrient levels in the soil and 
and putting additives on, he didn't do much of it. But then uh, my dad's time, that's when they really got into analysing the soil, which was a good thing, but they're just adding, they've been adding the wrong products to make them, uh, make the soils healthy. Yeah. You could definitely, I'm not sure how much you had involved in grandpa's garden when he was growing food when he was a little bit younger, but um, he definitely taught me a lot, but a lot of the similarities I learned at permaculture that he was doing unknowingly just what he learned when he was younger or over the years, you know, cover crops and, you know, covering, covering, protecting your soil with some mulch, composting. Yeah. Um, So that's another thing in the, with the conventional ag, the cover crops have really only just started to, like there there is a shift at the moment. There are more growers like myself that are uh, waking up and there there are a couple of groups I know of in Tassie that are really, really good and they're putting out awesome information um, about how to actually make your soil healthy and the benefits of uh, multi-species mixes compared to a monocrop, mm. um, which um, so multi-species mixes, all the plants literally talk to each other um, and that gets um, the fungi going, the biology going, whereas if you've just got a monocrop, it, it's just not how the soil is designed to work. If you look at um, the, the prairies and that, um, massive grassland prairies, there's definitely hundreds there may be thousands of different grass species in that prairie. Um, and, they, yeah, they all communicate and the biology is awesome. If you've got a monocrop, your, your biology, it's not active. It's not growing. This is something, I mean, on that, uh, there's a few things we can touch on, but i actually been thinking about that, um, you know, buying grass-fed, grass-finished beef. I've, it's still in the back of my mind that just feeding them grass mm. is probably not, you know, they they would have um, obviously um, rummaged across the land, but it wouldn't, wouldn't have just been the same grass. Like there would have been a whole bunch of things yeah. growing. And then what's that doing to the health of the animal as well? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's exactly right. I had, a, um, I had a, an advisor out there only a week or two ago who we touched on exactly that, having, um, having hedges and trees and shrubs and plants available to animals. Um, they they pick and choose what they want to get their gut and themselves healthy. Yeah, it's very interesting, but there's there's none of that today. They're just on a on a ryegrass monocrop. And I guess yeah, the grass fed, grass finished is so like it's broad, a lot better than grain finished because for the listeners that don't know, the um, obviously the grains get chemicals sprayed on them, so then um, the animals are ingesting the ingesting more chemical than they would on a purely grass fed diet. Yeah. But also, what's the grain doing to the animal? I don't know if cows used to run around Africa <laughs> and <laughs> eat grain. Correct. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I was actually, because I had a, um, I went to the Budrum Tavern with Dad yesterday because he's back from Greece. And and I know the tavern's owned by Woolies. And I just got thinking because the whole, it's uh, Grazers owns the steak there. And all of the steak, they're trying to promote, like, the, you know, oh, it's. Um, 180 days finished on grain, like it's premium, like everything is selling me how good grain is. Yeah. But every single state, there wasn't, there was not a single grass-fed, grass-finished one and yeah. made me think that Woolies probably owns the farm that they're, and they probably own grazers that's supplying to the pubs. But every all the consumers would think grain is the superior thing. Yeah, and I think maybe a bit of that comes back to um, all these big feedlots. So all these big feedlots feed nothing but grain. And they want to end meat. They don't want meat anymore because meat make, meat makes strong men, and they don't want strong men yeah. and and healthy people, in in my opinion. Mm. Um, so they want to control all these um, supply chains, and all that they've got the majority of meat in feedlots. They shut the grain supply. That's you know the meat. A lot of the percentage of the meat gone. Mm. A lot of that meat would be making people. Yeah, it could be, but a lot of people, a lot of the meat fed by grain will be making people sick anyway so yeah yeah um you're probably not even processing all the goodness out of a steak if you're eating the grain and (laughs) in it so back to the um if you've grown up just for the listeners who um haven't heard of like i was actually what made me want to have this podcast we're coming back through bundaberg and i think sophie made a comment on the the rows of um crops and how like you know beautiful it was or something 
And I think I got that's when I kind of got talking about why it's not beautiful and how if um, there is one pest that comes through, then they have a bloody field day in there and off all go the crops. So then you've got to come through and spray them all. Whereas if you've yep. got biodiversity in there, then you've got the good and the bad and they'll fight each other rather than take out your crop. Is that? Yeah, absolutely. So that's obviously one big negative of insecticides we haven't spoken about yet. You, you know, you're not only killing the pest that you're targeting, you're killing all the beneficials that would usually eat that pest. So it's like in some of these insecticides, just nuke everything and there's nothing left. So then, you know, for your next crop, say, you've got to wait years for those beneficials to build back up. I mean, you can add them back in and whatever, but no one does that. So, yeah, it's, it's just a compound and you just you get stuck with no diversity in your, you know, in your insects and things to the beneficials to eat your bad bugs and insects. And it's the same with your soil. The soil gets addicted to these synthetic fertilisers because nitrogen's a really bad one. You put the urea on, the nitrogen on, and that it's so easy for the plants to take up. They take that up and then the plants lose the ability to forage for the natural nitrogen in the soil. Uh, yeah. Interesting. Didn't know that. Um, clover is nitrogen fixing, isn't it? As an alternative. Yeah, legumes. How does, legumes are nitrogen fixing. How, if you were to put a cover crop of, um, is it red clover? Over your, um, like, over any, a, clover. any clover, over a paddock. And then what would you do? Just green manure, like till that in? Or how would you get rid of it? Or do they spray it? <laughs> Um, like so the, ones that are the people that are sort of, yeah, so you can, um, so the clover is fixing the nitrogen while it's growing. As soon as you, you sort of terminate, it stops fixing, uh, more nitrogen into the soil. This, um, advisor I had out the other day, um, gave me a figure I wasn't aware of that she, there's, um, this is just what she told me. There's 72 tons of nitrogen above every hectare of soil just in the atmosphere. Oh, wow. And once you get your soils correct and your plants functioning properly, they can get all the nitrogen they need. Yeah, right. Yeah. Thunderstorms bring down a fair bit, don't right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah free, free, Anne. Um, I was going to touch on another point there. I've forgotten. What's a, um, while you think of that, what's a, another thing? I know topsoil runoff is a massive um, problem as well. Is that because the paddocks are left bare for so long or...? Is it? It's also because they're not on on contour. Yeah, yeah. Well, on contour would obviously um prevent it, but it's yeah. So it's um it's because we're tilling the soil, and then you're planting you're planting your crops into bare soil. So the erosion events happen at planting, or you know, because the crops take you know at least three three, four weeks before there's any um, enough root matter and plant mass there to, you know, stop the rain just sheeting off if, it, if you get a heavy rain. So planting and then obviously after harvest you've got, um, in some cases, fairly bare soil again. So if you get, if you get a rain event before you've got your next um, uh, crop established or pasture established, then, yeah, you get, a, you get an erosion event. So it's those two windows. Um, I heard a yeah, room. Which can be for sort of two months, months of the year. I heard a rumour from Grandpa about five or so years ago. You might be able to confirm whether you did do this. But he, he was saying that your, <laughs> your solution to the topsoil runoff was to put a wall down the bottom of the paddock and get the tractor and bring it back to the top. We did that in one paddock, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it, that, it was a la- it's a bit of a last resort because when you've got those... Um, the two windows I was talking about are the bare soil. It's There's not a great deal you can do. You can put in straw rip lines, which is pretty much um, sort of uh, putting straw rip lines on in the contours. But yeah, we've, and the evidence we've seen, that sort of only slows it down and eventually ends up at the bottom, bottom of the hill anyway. So yeah, right. uh, we figured it was better to at least catch it rather than having running, running down the road. Did you remember what you were going to say before? What you were going to touch on? No, I don't. It might come back to me in conversation. So, if you're um, you're looking at obviously slowing down what you're doing, do you are you going to convert it? Like, is Callum want to help convert it? 
and how does that look like moving away from um, like regenerating the farm? Yeah, so my younger brother, um, he's been on the farm for maybe eight or eight to ten years, I think, and he's actually running the business this year. A bit of a transition for me to have some time off next year, so I can uh, think about this will be the first time in my life next year too that I've actually had time to think and figure out what I actually want to do probably. So, um, But we've started implementing the, the multi-species mixes in between our uh, vegetable crops. Um, and oh, I think that's – I just thought of what I was going to say before. Um, I've heard too when you – before you sow seed, like with our multi-species mixes, these next mixes we're going to put in, we're going to actually spray – um, spray biology onto the seed before we plant mm. and this tricks the seed um, that it's going into a biologically active soil and then from that they will um, they will sort of get your biology going quicker so it's a great way to kickstart and um, regain your soil health yeah, right. so that's um, like a worm leachate and a fish emulsion at you know a, a rate per ton of seed yeah, right. So we'll just sort of smell it on with some sort of spray bottle and uh, and then sow the seed. Yeah, right. And I actually heard as well that if, you know, um, the listeners are planting their veggie gardens, if you put the seeds in your mouth, it's the same concept. You're putting your biology on the seed and then yeah. that seed knows what you are lacking. Right. Oh, so really? If you, so it goes yeah. looking for it. Yeah, and it will... It will uh, I guess as long as your soil's balanced, mm. it can, um, you know, absorb or uptake the nutrients that you need. Mm. Yeah, right. That's interesting. That's like mm. the that's like um, a lot of people wouldn't know that weeds are telling you what's wrong with your soil. So that, like, you know, if you get a yeah. tap root, it's obviously more compact soil, so it's trying to smash through and you know break yeah. it up for you. A lot of people come through and just yeah. spray their weeds. You should kind of look at, you know, what have you. <laughs> What's the soil trying to tell you and what do you need to do to help it? Yeah, I've, um, we discussed this uh, the other week with my advisor as well. And so you look at, I think we're supposed to look at the what plant family the weeds are mm. and then try and select species from that same plant family to put in our, our grazable multi-species mixes. So then you are, you're putting in the, the plant families or the varieties of uh, plant that the soil wants to grow, or wants to grow there. So you're fixing the issue, like you said, if you know, tap with tap roots and all that uh, for compaction and different things. Yeah, but geez, all, half the uh, half the weeds I've realised on our property are almost medicinal. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, crazy. Um, I forgot her name. She was actually from Nambour, but she has the biggest bloody. I think she passed away a few years ago, but she had the biggest like medicinal or every herb. She studied just about every herb, and there's yeah. so many benefits for all of them. Yeah. Um, with that cropping method you just men- mentioned, the multi-species in between, your, how, how much is that going to change your yield, like your bottom line at the end, or it's not really? Uh, I, think it w- oh, I think it will long term, yeah. It's, um, you, can, you can really turn a soil around in, in 18 months. Um, so you're talking it's going to yeah. improve it or it's going to? No, improve it in 18 months with a good... Um, good multi-species mix growing all the way through. Yeah, like improve your, I mean, so you're going to put less fertilisers on and make more money, do you think? Yeah, potentially. There's a, there's a grower I know that grows potatoes. He's growing potatoes every three years. Mm. Um, so the, the sort of standard is probably six years, um, six to seven years in the conventional system that we run. So he's... He's implemented a system and he grows only potatoes and he grows them every three years in the same area. So you need that break to, um, to break up disease cycles. If you just grow potatoes after potatoes after potatoes, your disease builds up for you know, the, the diseases that those plants can get and it gets worse and worse and worse and until you have no crop sort of thing. But he, he's been cover cropping for to at least a decade, I think, maybe probably longer. Um, and he grows um, a multi, I think he only puts a couple of species, uh, Caliente, they're radishes. One's a radish and one and one of the plants is pretty much like rocket. So he grows these plants to whoever tall he can, like sort of chestish height, 
and then he mulches them in with a mulcher behind his tractor. And when you mulch them, um, he calls it liquid gold. They're really juicy, uh, and that juice is uh, glucosinolate, and that is just it's liquid gold for your soil and your biology. So he does that, mulches it, incorporates it in. In between the two or three years of potatoes, he puts in pasture and um, maybe one other thing. Mm. But it, So that's all he does in between the potatoes. And he is using one quarter the amount of fertiliser that we use because his soils are so healthy. He doesn't use a herbicide because he doesn't have weeds. And he, he may use the odd fungicide but barely any mm. so he with just with a healthy soil um like he, he's he's showing it's possible anyway to yeah to make money to, and actually he's trying to improve it again to get completely off it or he wants like the synthetic <clears throat> fertilizers or uh i don't know if that's his if it's a goal of his or not yeah, right. is that a goal of yours mm. yeah absolutely <laughs> Yeah, um, uh, and I should probably clarify synthetic fertilisers a bit. There are, um, so there's like acid-based and salt-based are very hard on your soil uh, and you, like you read as one of them, um, mop. but there are some granular fertilisers which I guess if people, um, you know, outside of agriculture didn't know, they'd probably just call them all synthetic fertilisers. They see them all at the same depot. Uh, but some of them like they're organically certified, like sulfate. I think sulfate of ammonia is organically certified. Don't quite me on that. I've never looked into the certification, but I'm, I'm pretty sure organic growers use that. Um, and there are a couple of others as well to, you know, to get um, sulfate of ammonia. It's got nitrogen and sulfur in it. And there are others you can get um, definitely P and maybe maybe K from, so your NPKS, your main four elements. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's obviously the... The lime I talked about before, the crushed limestone, again, natural product. Mm. So these are things conventional growers use, but we just use too much of the the badder, cheaper, um, yeah, sort of synthetic ferts. Right. Yeah. Cool. What about with your animals? Are you um, inco- trying to incorporate them into the cropping system or...? <clears throat> Uh, I haven't got that far yet. Yeah. <laughs> I need I need this year to uh, yeah. have, have a think about things and um, yeah get a get a more of a direction. It'd be quite a challenge to convert what you're doing to that. I'd imagine. I'm sure people are doing it. It'd almost yeah. be easier to start clean slate, but you've got bills to pay. Uh, um, yeah, for the short amount of time that I've been thinking about it, I think it would um, yeah it would be easier just to pretty much start growing a big market garden. Yeah. Right. Mm. Compared to like it's five hundred and fifty acres is a lot, mm. and it's um yeah it's a it's 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 a challenge to get it all um yeah to get it all changed over at once that's for sure. Mm. So who do you sell? Where's it all go to? Where you um your crops? <clears throat> uh, so our potatoes. So most of the um, growers in Taz grow contracted crops. There's not a – definitely a majority, I'll say, grow contracted crops. So we grow the crop for a company that then on either value adds or on sells to the consumer. Mm-hmm. So our potatoes um, are sold in frozen food sections in all the uh, all the major – some of the major supermarkets. Uh, they predominantly sell to um, fast food restaurants for their fries. Right. So that's where our potatoes go. Uh, most of our onions are exported to Europe, I think, Oh, really? There are some, yeah. There are some sold up the eastern seaboard of Australia, and the poppies go to big farmer, pretty much. Make some medicine. Yeah, fake yeah. medicine. Fake, yeah. fake medicine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, what was I going to say? The waste. So how much? How picky are they? Like, is there with your carrots and <clears throat> potatoes? How much would get wasted? Um. Our potatoes aren't fresh market, so there's not a lot of waste there. Um, up to I don't know, anywhere from two to eight percent. Eight percent would be really bad. Two to it's usually yeah. only sort of two three percent. Okay. 
Um, oh. carrot, fresh market carrots are very finicky. If the carrot's not straight, mm. uh, supermarkets don't want them. They've started doing that odd bunch thing recently, but um, still a lot of waste. Any little imperfection, um, you know, a little dot of grit of soil. Mm. Like you, you see the carrots in the supermarket and they're just pristinely clean which because they've been through a chlorine bath, I believe. Mm. Um it's, yeah, it's just not our food supposed to be. Everyone's so disconnected from it, they they don't know what it's supposed to look like, I don't think. Mm. It's um, mm. definitely something I've been thinking about as well, like went up to Mission Beach over the break and there was, um, went to a, I think it was El Arish. It's like a small small town in between near Mission Beach. Anyway, went <clears> to um, the local butcher there and asked him, I got some house and then asked him if he had any liver and then I asked him where the animal came from and he said oh Bingle Bay Road and I was like I'm pretty sure that's the road that Patrick's on where we were staying and then um it was and it was just like 500 meters up the road and nice. then I asked him if he killed the animal and he he kind of looked at me like I was an idiot and then he <laughs> but then then he said no I used to it's my family farm but they did they actually all the cows for the local butcher there would get um, kill it on site and yeah. the rest of them would go on a train to Townsville but it was like substantially different especially liver like I don't mm. know livers I don't know if you eat it but it was actually not it just tasted so different it was like I don't know there must be something about how far the animal's traveling and the stress that is in it you know if a cow goes 500 kilometers down the road on a train and then gets slaughtered Versus oh, so this particular liver tasted a lot different to was, what yeah, you've had. It was unreal. And the porterhouse, the steaks were the best of, you know, had, I reckon. And he, yeah. Um, yeah, and I just thought maybe, you know, the animal's there and then it dies there. doesn't go on yeah. a train for 500 Ks and stress out and then go to a yeah. big slaughterhouse. Yeah. Um, yeah. Interesting. And I wonder, like, the, you, you know, you said the, your carrots, the carrots get sprayed for the supermarket. Like, apples... If you think about what's on your shelf, I mean, if you go into a supermarket, which I highly advise, we just don't do that. <laughs> but the, um, it's like most of the stuff isn't grown this season. So they've either stored it in a big, you know, um, freezer somewhere. Yeah. Or it's come from the other side of the world or country. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Which also isn't good. Um, no. Just on the... Um Back to the um, killing the animals and uh, the quality of the meat. We uh, we um, slaughtered a beast uh, a year or two ago, and it was a at least a four year old, maybe five year old Frisian um, Frisian steer. And like they're like they're not a good meat animal, but these these were bucket red calves that we'd we'd read as kids, mm. um, as calves. Sorry. And they were just so quiet, placid, never stressed, and it was so, it was the best meat I've ever eaten. Yeah, right. Yeah. So just because that animal was so placid and relaxed, and mm. did, like you said, didn't have to get trucked kilometres to the to the slaughterhouse. Yeah, it was beautiful. Yeah, right. Are you still mm. doing that, or uh, we haven't got any uh, beasts, but we do our own lamb. Yeah. 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 Is it better? Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. You notice um, notice the difference from the supermarket um, supermarket meat. Yeah, right. It, yeah, even though it's the it's the same meat. Like um, farmers like myself can sell directly to supermarkets, but um, yeah, it's and it's different. Mm. Cool. Um, what else should we touch on? What else have you got? I'll just quickly check one. Oh, just just yeah. how bad. Um, yeah, some of these chemical labels are. Mm. Um, yeah, like we've got – so all conventional farmers have a shed. You've got to lock your chemicals up in. Um, I don't know. We've got hundreds of drums in there, different chemicals. And like we've got chemicals in there that if you consume a teaspoon of, you'd be dead. Yeah, and like right. when we're putting on our food, it's just – it's crazy. Do you yeah. eat? Do you, do you eat from your farm? No. Uh, this is a this is a good point. This is a whenever this comes up, I get the opportunity to say this in conversation. 
you know, I tell people I grow this produce and I do not eat it. I do not feed it to my kids, my family. And I say that should scare the shit out of you, that you just get the fluoridated green back and they're like, oh, yeah, it should, and that's it. <laughs> so, yeah, but right. I, I make a point of yeah, telling that to anyone whenever I get a chance to. Yeah, right. Yeah, we, um, yeah, my wife, I and kids do not eat our, the produce we grow anymore. Know why? It's quite powerful. Mm. Um, except for the animals, but that's. <clears throat> it might be easier to um, convert it with animals, would it, or not? They convert. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. But it, it, the veggie side's possible. On the on the animal side too, with the multi species mixes we put in, they get no chemicals on them. Oh, okay. So the animals, <clears throat> are, we do still um, give them a. A vaccination with a B12 and selenium, which I think is probably they're probably um, I haven't looked into this, but they'd be good um, sort of supplements to give the animal because our soils are low in those. Mm. Um, but I'd really like to look into promoting the health of the animal and then getting you know instead of just giving them the, the six in one and drenching them, actually looking into providing the animal with what it needs to be healthy and then doing away with those. And then grazing them on the multi-species mixes, and they'd be. Yeah. Do you know much obviously about the B twelve? Um, how the animals? Because a lot of people obviously think they're eating animals to get B twelve, but then the animals getting synthetically yeah. provided the B twelve <laughs> in the first place. Yeah. So as well just sure. inject it in yourself. It's not something I've thought about yet. Yeah, yeah. Because it, it's uh, the soil quality, right? That is why the animals not getting the B twelve. Yeah, yeah. Well, I know our soils are definitely low in selenium, which is why we give them a, um, yeah, a selenium sort of top up. Yeah. But yeah, I haven't looked into mm. animal health that far at all yet. There's so much. There's literally so much. It's just a never-ending thing, and it's almost yeah. it's something that I think everyone, you know, <clears> should <throat> look into. Whether you grow food or not, you should look into it because it's um. The other thing which I didn't say before is, I don't know. 100% but I've been told that the soil the soil life like all the microorganisms in the soil will actually go up and protect the plant leaves like cover it mm. you know about that so if they no, don't if they if they don't exist in the soil they can't protect the plants because I remember um, Tom telling me that if the soil is strong then the plants the um, insects won't even attack the plants because they're protected oh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. If you've got healthy soil, um, if you've got perfectly healthy soil, which means you'll have a healthy plant and insects always target weaker plants. Right. Yeah. So they're mm. naturally going to target, you know, farms that are killing their soil and then you're going to be spraying it with more sprays and then it's, it's just a vicious cycle really, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I read this book about a farmer who leased a paddock next door to the one that he uh, conventionally crop for years and he he planted his next crop you know up the length so it was across both fields so he made it into one field half was his old conventionally um grown stuff and this this lease block was fresh soil yeah so not necessarily uh looked after um with natural ingredients and stuff it probably had um, just not much done to it all been pasture for years mm. Uh, and his crop, he noticed to a dead line that the his old conventionally um, cropped soil had diseased plants, um, maybe I think it was powdery mildew, mm. and the dead line to the fresh soil, they were all perfect. Mm. And he said there was even, yeah, where the soil had got mixed a little bit, I think, where probably where he tilled it, right on the line, there was... Yeah, perfectly healthy plant um, next to a, a diseased one. Yeah, like, right. Yeah, wow. crazy. But to it, just to a dead line. Yeah. If you have healthy soil, you will have healthy plants. Yep. Then yeah. you'll be healthy, and your gut will be healthy, and then your mind will be healthy. Yeah. All connected. Yeah, I'm looking for. Yep. You're right. I said it's all connected. Ah, oh, for sure. Yep. I'm looking forward to eating all the veggies in my garden now. I've put the seeds in my mouth. <laughs> yeah. You started that garden then, the organic Yeah. Uh, oh, no. Um, 
only a few smaller raised beds at home. Yeah, yeah. cool. I haven't started the the bigger garden. Our, our employee left, and we got I got uh, time poorer, so mm. <laughs> had to just put that on the back burner. Before we wrap up, do you is there anything you know about bad organics or organics done wrong? No, it's again not something I've um, researched a heap. I've had uh, yeah. had a fair bit on trying to learn about the world the last three years. <laughs> I've only uh, only touched on ag, but. Yeah, um, that's right. No, I haven't. I haven't um, really looked into if there is, you know, the organic label can be mm. worked around to do it poorly. I've never. I'm not a fan of labels. Yeah. If you're growing food naturally, mm. you've got healthy soil. We're not putting bad things on it. Yeah. The I, going to be good. I almost, look, I almost look for like regenerative over or biodynamic over organic. You know, I don't actually trust um, macro organic at all. The Woolies own one. I think it's Woolies. Yep. yep. I mean, I can th- I can kind of assume what I think would be wrong with it. You know, monoculture is still not going to be good in a um, organic system either. Um, yep. But no, for- forage farms. Did you end up checking them out up here? The forage farms. Yeah. I had a bit of a look. Yeah. Yeah, like yeah. they're good. People like that. Yeah, they're cool. Go to the markets, meet the farmer, see what yeah. they're doing. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Well, good luck with oh, the. Do um, you have something else to say? Oh, well, I was going to say, is any listeners that um, yeah are still eating produce that's produced with chemicals, I'd um, consider switching. Hmm. Just like to stress that point. <laughs> <laughs> you need to um, yeah, get the rest of the family to convert the farm. Yeah. Anyway, I'll see what I come up with uh, with my hiatus, and we'll we'll see. You've won a few, haven't you? You've won a few awards over the years, haven't you? As Tassie's best grower or whatever, most innovative um, young grower. Ah, uh, yeah, they're just um, they're more encouragement awards than anything the young grower things. But yeah, right. Um, oh yeah. well, uh, win the yeah, we've best won conversion. A t- yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, cool. Well, thanks for taking the time, Brady. No worries. Thanks for having me. It's been fun. It's good. Good chat. We'll do it again. We'll, uh, we'll have to do another one. There's plenty of topics. Yeah, I might get back. <laughs> I'll have to get back into it and start, you know, researching again. Yeah. You can tell people what not to do. I yeah. I think it becomes like, it becomes, um, you know, I have these chats with dad all the time, like, you know, don't eat that because of this, blah, blah, blah. But I don't actually, it's just, I used to be so obsessed with it. I remember when I came down 10 years ago or something, I was like, permaculture is the solution. <laughs> and your dad was like, you shut done? up. <laughs> shut up, you city slicker. <laughs> but yeah. Um, yeah, dad listens, but um, I don't know if he gets it but or cares. But yeah. Um, yeah, I can like, uh, you know, you, you, once you know and you just look around, you're like, well, that's not good and that's good. That's not good. Yeah. That one's probably not good either. Yeah. You, um, you know you can convert um, any any sort of plant, um, any crop from whatever it is to a good perennial pasture with just livestock? Really? Yeah. So this is one of the groups that I went to, just a day course. Um, they're, they're, what are they? They're Regenerative Agricultural Network of Tasmania. Mm. Um, yeah, and this the guy running it showed a um, photo of a, of a paddock full of cape weed in flower, like, you know, ankle height sort of thing. Mm. Um, and he showed another photo of just this awesome, lush, green perennial pasture. Um, definitely minimal fertiliser, if any, because he's um, a big um, – he doesn't like it. Mm. Uh, and, he, and he turned it from the cape weed to the pasture in three years with just cattle. Yeah, right. So the process is – uh, he describes it like you have, if um, we had 10 people in a room, but we're not there, but you halve the room, put the 10 people in half the room, then half the room again, put the 10 people in the quarter of the room and then halve that again so they're really, you know, really tight and they're sort of fidgeting around touching each other like this. Mm. So you stock the cattle in areas like that so they're stocked that tight that they sort of have to fidget around and they, when they twist their hooves, when they're fidgeting, yeah. 
they crack the perennial grass seeds. Yeah, right. So then, so they you, they really they eat a bit of what's on top. They trample in what's there. So you're getting all the mm. organic matter sort of back on top, um, layer on the soil, giving a cover to the soil, which is how it should be. And then you rest it for anywhere from six to twelve months, depending on your uh, your growth rates. Mm. So you want to let it recover um, enough so that you've got the decaying, so you've got the decaying sort of dead material in your grass already. And so you've got some that have decayed and died and are already laying on the on the soil surface and then you've got the sort of dead stalky stuff amongst your, you know, your green pasture leaves. Mm. Yeah. So, that's interesting. It's and that, a, yeah. So that's, uh, so if you're in that system, so that's um, like the regen, um, regenerative grazing system. Mm. You don't need to cut hay and silage because you've already got all the dead matter uh, yeah. um, in your in your feed. So you don't need hay. That's <laughs> the only reason we need hay is because everyone's pumping synthetic fur and um, you've got really they're feeding the grass when it's too young. It's green and juicy and just goes straight through them. So you need the hay for the fibre. No fibre there. Yeah, right. It reminded me of um, I know Tom Kendall used to do the Alan Savory method. Which had you yeah. had yeah, where they you kind of um keep rotating the cows. But I think he, he said he had he's had more um success with a system that sounded like what you're doing or what your mate's doing, um, where you smash one paddock and you go yeah. to the second one, come back, third one, come back, and then you let that one rest for an entire year. Yeah. So you like, tell me about that, yeah. Yeah. That's like both same kind of principle, principle, right? Like they're, yeah. just, they're smashing the paddock and then they, the paddock rests and can rejuvenate. Yeah, yeah. And it comes back, well, the guy uh, teaching the day related it back to the prairies again, like I talked about before, the, like the wildebeest or whatever that graze that, they, they go over it once a year. They just walk along it, graze it, and then they, that gets to rest for 12 months probably. I assume they do it once a year. Mm. Yeah. yeah, they so don't hang out in one spot. Yeah, back to that natural system. I remember um, one more thing before we wrap it up. I think Bill Mollison, when he started, I think the story of starting permaculture was he was observing a wallaby or a kangaroo. I think it was a wallaby actually. And it, it was just, it was going around and eating a little bit and it would eat a little bit over there and eat a little bit over there. But it'd only take a little bit. Yeah. Whereas humans come through and we just take the whole thing. Yeah. And, it, and, it's, and it's fucking gone. And then we go, the next one we take that whole thing. So he, he built a system where you're kind of, you know, transferring moving energy around but it's not um depleting the energy yeah yeah oh, cool we've got to learn from nature yeah absolutely i agree all right we'll wrap it up cool oh Talk. listeners look into uh planting on moon cycles too oh yeah something i've only learned about recently it's pretty cool <laughs> <laughs> infinite amount of knowledge out there isn't there oh far out <laughs>